Welcome to the RM Williams Outback Podcast. I'm Terry Cowley, the Senior Associate Editor of RM Williams Outback Magazine. Thanks to Elders Insurance for sponsoring this podcast. Merchandise and a social media presence are keeping the Deshaun Goat Depot afloat in a challenging market. To share with us the slightly madcap world of the Deshaun Goat Depot, I'm joined by Simon, better known as Sigo Deshaun, one of the key members of Deshaun family who makes it all happen. Hi there, Sigo. Hi, Terry. Great to be with you. I should have asked you if, if I should call you Sigo or will we stick with the more formal Simon? I No, I, I answered a Sigo and I, I, I definitely urge friend. Terry, you're now in the friend. <laughs> so no, Sigo's fine. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, I, I think the, the name kind of suits what we're going to talk about. So you grew up near Lightning Ridge and your family has a business drafting goats and cropping. Tell me a bit about the family business, what they do and where they do it. That's right. The, the goats uh, is a real, I mean, in the lifetime of the farm at Lightning Ridge at Lanillo is where the, where the, uh, where the goat depot is situated. Uh, what are we, th- um, third or, or, yeah, third or almost fourth generation out there now with the boys coming, coming along. It's a, uh, yeah, traditionally uh, sheep and wool producing, uh, moved into cattle. Uh, and then of, of recent time, uh, you know, in the last 10 years, uh, the, the goats, the goats have always existed out there from earliest memories. There's always been goats getting in amongst the sheep. We'd go and round up the sheep and, and there'd always be the odd goat with an identity crisis in amongst the sheep coming in for shearing. Uh, and otherwise it's sort of like, oh, let's remove the goat, you know, ha ha, let them, let them go back to the wild. But then, of course, there's some country at, uh, around the farm and in that region where it's particularly thick and scrubby land where um, you know it was quite difficult to get vehicles into and, and it was almost horseback or or walk in and out motorbikes were it was almost too thick to get into and then that's where the goats sort of bred up and the fencing out there obviously you know uh, 10 20 30 years ago the fencing the goats were amazing at, at um, getting through fences so they sort of existed and bred up and moved between properties. They certainly didn't have a home, if you like. They'd sort of moved to where, and they always looked amazing, these goats. And apart from every now and then, we might get an eclectic visitor that would come and, you know, uh, ask permission to butcher a goat. And they'd, and we'd often look at them oddly thinking, what are they, why would they, you know, they've got this lovely mutton and lamb here and this person's out there eating this delicious goat meat. Um, and then, of course, uh, that's right. So then the goats sort of came under the crosshairs of my yeah my brother Nick. He sort of noticed there was a there was a market and it's incredible. I remember twenty years ago we would attempt to round them up and try and catch them and uh, and we'd have a hell of a time. It was a lot of fun and a lot of high speed and and almost chasing them. But we'd often get very excited because there'd be large numbers. But often we'd get by the time we got them to the yard, they were such they were such incredible athletic things almost like deer that that they they wouldn't respect the motorbike they wouldn't respect fences so it often arrive back at the yards with a hatful of goats uh, and so then nick then started to uh, improve gradually over time the almost goat proofing parts of the farm so that's where the depot i guess spawned you know what one paddock at a time if you like and he converted it one of a uh, the older shearing sheds at one end of the farm into a, a goat uh, processing or goat yards, if you like. 
So, you know, heightened defences, buried some fencing into the earth as well, so they couldn't go under, they couldn't go over. So I guess that was it. It was a very gradual uh, improvement, if you like. And then, of course, yeah, and then Nick was doing some research into maybe motorised isn't the most effective way of capturing the goats and there are other methods of course with how to get large numbers with minimum effort and that's I think I think you know there was a water trap that uh, Nick employed which was yeah essentially they'd come in come into water and uh, and they could enter and not leave sort of thing around these dams uh, in the goat area I think that was yeah that started to get really exciting because you'd crest the the bank of the dam and there'd be yeah lots and lots of colors and smelly and hairy goats all all captured. I think that definitely did excite Nick and and see this is a yeah this is definitely something that look at these numbers the numbers were astonishing. I mean that the goats that were breeding in the wild moving from farm to farm and the speed of of how their numbers would build was absolutely astonishing. I remember that thinking the season's terrible. You know when there was no you know there was no grasses often quite a bad season and yet the goats looked amazing and the numbers were getting they were swelling you know they'll get they're actually doing really well don't know what they're eating exactly but that's sort of the, the gradual how it came around seeing them and then slowly working out a way of yeah capturing them and and working them in the yards so then yeah and then fast forward to you know, 20, 25 years later, through, through sort of spreading the word and promoting his, his what Nick does there, uh, he's got three three boys now who have all finished school and they're, they're sort of at an age where they're looking to get their teeth into things. So the promotion in the area, Nick's able to take in goats from, from the region. So people that don't have these special fences and they don't have these special yards, and but they do have a vehicle and they do have a way of capturing the goats. So they'll then pop the goats in the in their vehicles and drop them off at Nick at Nick's depot, if you like, and Nick and Nick can hold on to them and build numbers. And I remember that you know sort of being amazed that um, Nick could get a call saying, "Oh, hi, Nick. Yeah, I've got a I've got a goat, or I've got goats for you. Can I drop them off?" And Nick will discuss on the phone and work out a price, uh, and then he'll go down the road and I'll jump in with him and and go down the road to meet often a sedan, you know, or a, a hatchback car with a, a goat on the back seat. Nick could then release, you know, release the goat in with the mob. So, yeah, and, and I think promotion part, you know, because often people would come along and they'd want to meet Nick and, you know, goats were exciting and they were uh, and new and different. So they'd, they'd often say, oh, you know, I uh, went out to see Nick or um, how do I get in contact with Nick or who's taking goats, who's paying for goats, etc. Uh, I was in... England at the time and uh, Nick said to me listen uh, let's look at something I can give the the drivers or I can give the people that are dropping goats off you know something to take away from the farm. Before we get on to your role I just wanted to ask you a bit about growing up. So Sigo you were the youngest of five boys by four years. What was it like growing up out there? Oh yes uh, that's a really good question. I was the youngest I was the youngest of five five brothers that's right and I've had absolutely fond memories of of uh, of the lifestyle out there and growing up there I think what hit home was how special I had it was uh, we, we would travel on the bus into the primary school uh, in the Lightning Ridge was uh, 38 yeah, about 40 minute drive on the bus uh, on a gravel road and interact with with the friends at primary school and I was allowed to have a friend's home uh, on my last year uh, in primary school. So in 
when I was in year six, I was like, oh, Simon, it's your time to have your friends home from school. So I'd invite my my town friends home to the farm. Yeah, and I just remember that, I remember looking, as I, you know, we'd get out at the farm. I remember looking around at these guys and they were, yeah, they just couldn't get over the, there's motorbikes over there, there's horses over there, there's, you know, there's chickens, there's pigs. I remember them just being overwhelmed, these these guys of uh, looking around at, at something I'd grown up with. Um, and I remember thinking, you know, that's, that was pretty special, you know, having all those opportunities and, you know, driving vehicles and, I don't know, taking on responsibilities and things like that as well. Often often the parents are away or... Uh, and also, I, I, I want to add as well, Terry, that the, the town of Lightning Ridge as well was just su- it's such an interesting place. And that school friends were in primary school were a, an incredible mix. You know, it, I think Lightning Ridge... It attracts a certain dynamic. There's, uh, of course, there's the opals. You know, there's the healing qualities of the artesian water. You know, and there's there's people that just want to be get away from it all as well. So, there was people from all over the world who were my classmates at, at Lightning Ridge, and really fond memories of of growing up out there. So, a really interesting upbringing, but you weren't really hands on at the farm so much as your brothers when you're growing up. You had interests elsewhere. Absolutely, and. Uh, I think I was encouraged as well uh, by by mum and dad just because, well, mum would say as well that I was supposed to be the girl uh, and she even had a name a name picked out for me. Uh, so they just dropped the E off uh, Simone. Really? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I was supposed to be Simone. Wow. <laughs> but, well, I'm ter- Terry, so what my parents didn't even bother. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right. So... Coming along with with a you know four year gap after four boys who were who were all, all the four boys were my brothers were incredibly physical incredibly you know adept at stock work and machinery and working the plant and and uh, and all those things and they knew how to farm run the farm back to front so no one was clamouring to jump in with mum and do the grocery shopping which I actually quite liked I had a good relationship with the. Uh, uh, the news agent in town, uh, the Barneses, and they'd save comics and they'd put aside all the magazines for me so I'd come and collect them. Yeah, mum and dad actually encouraged that. So, you know, I, I think that probably fed into my interest in, in art and creation of graphics and narrative storytelling and that sort of thing. And you probably couldn't have imagined that that would come in so handy. The figures I have here, the depot has processed up to 10,000 goats in a busy year and averages three to 4,000. And a couple of years ago, goat prices were really peaking. Then despite a run of three good seasons, the market slumped. And I guess those skills that you've been talking about, you were able to apply them to the family business. Tell me all about that. Yeah, yeah, great question, Terry. I think, I mean, I was forever sort of, keeping in contact with the farm, coming back to the farm, bringing my children to the farm and, uh, you know, and seeing how the farm has expanded and how it's improving. And uh, I think what was really exciting for me was seeing the new generation growing up, so Nick's boys, you know, all all the cousins, uh, nieces and nephews growing up, the, the other boys, Ben and Sam's children all growing up that there was this network already a network of 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 that generation of people and they were always saying oh you know I noticed one of the truck drivers had on a I think we did a run of uh, terrible trucker hats I think initially which fell apart as soon as you put them on Uh, that was sort of like what we're giving out free to 
the drivers and a couple of runs of stickers, which also were terrible. And so that when the when the nieces and nephews all found out about, it, so I saw someone with this a goat depot hat on, and yeah, and then we started thinking about, well, you know, what do you guys want? So we started to do a little test audience of what that generation wanted, you know. And t-shirts came up, rugby shorts were discussed. Uh, what else did we have? We had fishing shirts, stubby coolers. We had flip-flops, tea towels. I think uh, hoodies. Yeah, hoodies was one of the, one of the first as well. So trucker hats, hoodies, and uh, because they were quite in fashion. So that was it. So then I was able to get involved in the farm again. You know, it was, it was uh, from uh, working in the, uh, I guess, the creative industry in film and, and graphic design and, uh, and communication. I was able to sort of look and help and contribute and get the communication up and, and of course, that generation were all on social media, so they could give me votes. We almost had a sort of a, a, a chat room where I'd send an idea over and they'd thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, so yeah, it certainly wasn't just sort of th- uh, about putting together a, a concept and just launching it. It was always go through the committee, if you like. So it was a really nice, yeah, it still is, a, a really nice way of keeping contact and seeing what they like. And of course... As that generation get older, their tastes change, and you know, no, so hence we've got a bit of a more mature a tote bag, if you like, for your shopping, and so so things are sort of changing slightly in the taste. But at the heart of it, yeah, it, it's listening to those guys and seeing what they like, and they're really good because they, because because it's family, they don't mix their words. They'll tell you honestly if something's not right. So there's been a lot of a lot of launches that have yeah, been pulled and you know, that's not working or that's embarrassing, take that down. So I often use photos and oh, you can see on the shop there, there's there's actual photos of family members on some of the merchandise, you know, and so some of it's like, oh, that's embarrassing, take it down. Or, <laughs> it's your job, isn't it, as, a, as the annoying younger brother to embarrass them all? <laughs> that's right. We're not talking about you know, giving away hats anymore. You're talking about proper paid merchandise and, and, and shops and things, something that can actually have the potential to contribute significantly to the bottom line of the business. 100%, yeah. Nick's always been an advocate for contributing to the community. Uh, you'll see the Dash and Goat Depot marketing or logos uh, it'll appear in the um, Lightning Ridge Rodeo, the, the Walgett Races, the, the Rugby Club. The next one coming up is the... Uh, Lightning Ridge Races, Dash and Goat Depot sponsor shoot one of the of the Rodeo. Uh, so they all get banners that hang off the Rodeo. Uh, there's opportunities there to sell uh, merchandise, at Goat Depot merchandise at, at the, and that's a sort of, there's no actual store as such. So there's no sort of footfall coming through a shop window. It's all online. So it's nice to have that actual face-to-face with the with potential customers at an event like that. One of the successful campaigns we were doing uh, was competitions, so uh, guessing the number of goats or guessing the weight of the goat. I guess what you're talking about is that connection, aren't you? 100%, 100%. And keeping the brand out there. Yes. Uh, and actually, that's a really good point because you've just triggered a memory. What does sell is a customer or someone spotted with, with a hat on or a piece of merchandise 
them photographing themselves and, and they, they'll direct message the Instagram. So they'll direct message me and say, you know, and there's, a, there's actually a hand gesture, a horns up hands gesture that they'll do. They'll have the cap on or the fishing shirt. And so I'll, I'll take the photo. I might put a message with it or I'll just bring out, tidy it up a little bit, the photo and put that up on the, on the Instagram. So it's those customer or who's wearing, who spotted the merch or, you know, wh- where has it been spotted? Yeah, it's been, and, and there is, there's photos as far away as Glasgow, Bali, uh, USA, as well as all around Australia of, of customers just with the merch on sending it in saying, put this on the post. I want to be seen on the post, you know, and that photo is what, yeah, that's probably what sells sells the most actually when when you see children with hats on and, and things like that. I think that's a really powerful connection. So horns up, I guess the, the saying and describe the hand gesture for people who haven't seen it. <laughs> It's not rude. It's not rude. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And if I'm describing it, essentially, it's raising your pinky finger and your pointer finger to the the sky and bringing your thumb up and holding the two middle fingers down behind the thumb. Now, the, the big thing is, is to make sure you face palm out so the thumb is facing towards the person you're giving horns up to because if it, you flip it uh, I believe that's a sign of the devil so it's polite <laughs> it's polite to show them the face of the goat uh, which is the <laughs> thumb are you, are you trying it so I'm I'm, I'm doing it now so it, it looks like it's yeah I'm doing it now I didn't realize it was so involved so thank you for that uh, little rundown there so it's it's a goat it's a goat head right it's a goat head that's right so the yeah. thumb is the snout uh, and then the eyebrows are your two middle fingers and then you've got your horns, little finger and pointer finger. Look, I mean, you know, this might rival the Aaron Williams Longhorn one day. You never know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that, but but um, it's hilarious. But I do get a lot of enjoyment of scrolling through the Instagram and seeing the variations on it. It's fantastic. Actually, I think Aaron Williams needs to come up with a sort of a Longhorn hand Symbol, definitely. Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. So we, we are joking, but how important do you think it is for farms and bush businesses generally to tell their stories and get out there via social media? Oh, yeah, great question, Terry. I think, I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's one of those things is that 30, 40 years ago, my memories of when we'd go on holiday from the farm is we couldn't wait to get to the coast or we couldn't wait to get to the cities because we could buy, you know, back then to, to get um, half-decent caps and T-shirts, those surfy T-shirts that you had, there was really nice graphics and, you know, I used to love getting to the centres where you could get those things. There wasn't a great deal. I love the fact that we're able to, you know, to get our story, to get our, you know, the look and feel of the work and the ethics that the boys put into the farm, into merch. It's actually quality. It's actually something that people want to wear. When I see someone wearing one of the caps or, or a sticker on the back of a vehicle, or it has a, I don't know, it's like a, yeah, there is, it's a community. You feel like you, you feel like you're part of something and it makes it like a really shareable medium, if you like. People are sort of interested in the quirkiness of, of what, you know, what, what it's like out there, the lifestyle out there, you know, and they're sort of investing in that. They almost sort of respond to it. it it's, yeah, it's brilliant, Terry. The, yeah, your question is, is a great question because 
I just think that all those uh, unique and quite isolated, you know, lifestyles out there can feel part of something bigger, if you like, and share it with people. It's fascinating. It's fascinating seeing how people uh, exist and how they, you know, their day-to-day life, which might seem like, yeah, we've been doing this all our lives. But when people get a, a glimpse at that through these social media platforms, it's it's really fascinating, especially for people in Europe or, or, or you know, outside of Australia as well, to look at that. You know, they see this goat lifestyle and think, well, really? You, you chase them on motorbikes? You know, there's sort of a, yeah, I think it's extremely important. You're making agriculture seem exciting, which, you know, if that attracts more young yeah. young people can only be a good thing. 100%. Yeah, 100%. Agriculture now is, I'm looking at it from a image making skills or or graphic design skills or, or narrative uh, storytelling skills, looking at the environment out there, looking at the upbringing and, and, the, and the uniqueness and the quirkiness of it and trying to visualise that, if you like, and trying to, yeah, trying to create something that allows more people in to, to that sort of lifestyle, I guess. How are things going with the business now? Numbers are up with goats, Nick's boys, Jack, Harry and Tom. They've each done a number of years up north in the Territory. You've got Nick the boss and then you've got these three. And then Kath, of course, and it's just seeing how the dynamic of that, you know, the next sort of five years or next decade. And they're all deeply uh, invested and passionate about Lanillo and the Goat Depot and how to just keep improving on all the good work. To fin- finish up talking about your merchandise, is it true that you've been thinking about some Goat Depot budgie smugglers? Is this true? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that is yeah i wish i wish i could say that's made up but no that is absolutely true we've had a we had a mock-up put together what the scary thing is is there's no shortage of models they can't wait to get these things on <laughs> and uh i'm just terrified of what they'll look like and where they because they want a goat on it obviously and there's horns involved so i'm just terrified of where those yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's a tricky one. Could 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 go in a number of different directions. <laughs> it could, it could. No, one hundred percent. So my my job is to have fun with the graphics, but also make it viable with suppliers and still be able to feed a bit bit of money back into the depot. All sounds like good fun, and having fun's important, isn't it? Oh yes, <laughs> you've got to have fun. Absolutely, sometime. keep the fun in farming. <laughs> Put the fun in farming. That's good. That's good. You only got to scroll down the Instagram, and I've just I've just been doing a swallow speak, Terry. And yeah, there is fun. Uh, that's a good. That's a good word because it, there are people there with smiles on their faces, and they're from all walks of life. Well, well done on the work that you've done, and I wish you and the family business all the best for the future. And I guess horns up. <laughs> Terry, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank thank you very much. Absolutely delighted to be part of it. Thank you for your time, Sigo. This interview was based on a story by Mandy McKeezik on the Deshaun Goat Depot, which appears in issue 153 of Outback Magazine. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Talk to you soon. <laughs>